Good morning. How's everybody today? Are you there? How's everybody today? Good, good. I want you to know that as I, as I now regularly do, I checked in with the sermon monitor, Eli, and Eli has told me that kind of all the world's my oyster this morning, as long as the maximum is 39, the minimum is 31, and the average is 35, but basically, as I, as I left our interaction this morning, he said, but anywhere in there is fine, so you just pick. So that's kind of the landing spot this morning. Um, again, I'm, I'm Michael Langer, and I know most of you. Uh, if you want an update on what's going on with Faithful Presence and the ministry that we do in Washington and with churches, um, there are prayer cards in the back and with the little pink spoon. And if you don't know what the pink spoon's about, ask your neighbors. Somebody will know that it's not a weapon. It's designed for foretastes of goodness. Uh, but you can get those in the back. And with that said, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word this morning from Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 11, hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering many proof, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days in speaking about the kingdom of God. And while standing with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had, get, had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for preserving this word. Thank you that uh, Luke was encouraged by your Holy Spirit to write part two. Uh, what happens next? Father, thank you for the encouragement that is found in these 28 chapters as we read the story of the church without Christ in her midst. Father, we pray that you would open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to be encouraged by this story of how you minister to us in the midst of our insecurity. In Christ's name, 
Amen. Uh, Just one quick thing, if you are a note taker, which many of you are, the wonderful notes that appear in here are correct, but because I make last-minute decisions, the order is wrong. So the order will actually go to trust Christ in our uncertainty, uh, weakness, and unease, but you'll figure it out. It'll be totally okay. So let's talk about insecurity. What are the things that make you feel insecure? What kind of things go on in your life when you're like, man, I just, I could not possibly be more insecure than I am right now? Maybe it's a new class. Maybe you've, you've changed grades and you've gone from elementary school to junior high or junior high to high school or, or high school to college. Or maybe your parents have moved you, or maybe the government has moved you to another place, and another place means another school, and you're trying to figure out, how am I going to fit in? Where am I going to be in the pecking order? Here, I had my pecking order figured out where I was before, but here, I don't know. Here, it's kind of, you know, game open. Nobody knows where I'm going to fit in. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new posting. Maybe you're doing really well. Uh, you know, here, but they transfer you somewhere else, and you're like, okay, well, I'm not in with anybody. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows that I'm awesome. Or maybe it's nobody knows that you're a nerd. Maybe this is the opportunity for you to be the all-star because the people at the old place thought you were a nerd, but here they don't know that yet. Usually they figure it out, though. That's just the way that it is. And maybe it's a relationship, Right? Maybe you're in a new relationship and you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know how much of myself I can reveal at this point. You know, I don't know what they're going to think about me. And so we feel insecure. Or maybe it's the loss of a relationship. Right? Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that was long standing and now it's just over. And you're thinking, I don't even know how to be me. Without that person, I don't, I don't know how to go forward without this person in my life. And that makes you feel insecure. Maybe it's tech. Maybe it's chat, GBT4, whatever thing it is. I had it, I had it try to write a couple articles for me on uh, the conversion of Douglas Hyde to Christianity and why he renounced it. And the first four answers it gave me were wrong because... It was like, oh, he's this person. I'm like, no, he's not that person. Oh, I'm very sorry for that. And, I was like, and they're like, oh, let me take another stab at it. I'm like, yeah, nope, that's not who he is either. He's actually this other person. Oh, yeah, I'm really sorry about that answer, right? And so this whole thing with AI makes some of us feel uneasy. But I've been feeling uneasy about AI since I was a teenager, and I was concerned about the War Operations Plan Response Computer which some of you know as Whopper from War Games, where he, see, this is the thing. This is what happens when you use a sermon illustration where the movie is the one that basically most people here under the age of 45 have never seen. But just know if you hack into a computer and you ask it to play a game of chess and it says, how about a nice game of thermonuclear war, you should start panicking. Right, So we can feel insecure about technology. And so what, what drives, what is it about 
school and class and jobs and postings and relationship and tech that can make us feel insecure? I would say there are three things. Uncertainty, weakness, and unease. Uncertainty, weakness, and unease. And wouldn't it be great if Scripture presented us with true stories of people who found themselves feeling insecure because of uncertainty, weakness, and unease, like the one we have this morning. So let me set the stage for you. The Son of God, the Messiah, who is able to feed 5,000 and then 4,000 and then heal blind people and lepers and paralytics and takes his people to all kinds of crazy places like Samaria and teaches them with teaching that is unbelievably awesome. And he draws to himself this huge crowd. And his disciples are these like, nerdy people who you would never choose to be on your starting 12 but that's who he chose and they've seen him calm the waters there's a time when the waters you know they're they're trying to get across across the sea and the sea is just all over the place and one of the disciples gets up and they say to Jesus Jesus don't you care that we are perishing Oh, I'm, you were talking about the sea. Yeah, that's not a problem for me. Stop. And it's totally still. Then, they come into Jerusalem, and all of the city is out there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And then, a week later, before their very eyes, they watch as other parts of the city demand that they set an insurrectionist and a murderer free and condemn Jesus to die. And they watch as he is tortured and crucified and dies. Their guy, the guy who's going to help them, is dead and gone. And then three days later, They're hanging out in the upper room, and Jesus shows up. He's like, hey, dudes, what's up? Why are you in this room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews? Uh, because you totally died? He's like, well, yep, but I'm here now. Okay, I'll be back. Eight days later, Jesus comes, and you know where they are? In the upper room with the door locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus is like, hey, what's going on? How you done? What are you doing here? Why are you still here? This is their guy. He's back from... Try to imagine that your leader, the guy who's going to fix everything, dies and then comes back from the dead. You're like, okay, this is it. This must be the moment. And then he's gone. And he stays gone. Now what are you supposed to do? This is the picture. 
Like we've never known any situation that we have that would make us feel insecure doesn't even compare to the fact that they had God in their midst and then he's gone. There's nothing that compares to to what they're feeling right here. And so what happens when, when you feel insecure? I would say that, you know, we maybe have two responses. One is to just completely shut down and just go, okay, I can't, I can't even, I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to curl up in my bed because I, I can't imagine going forward now. Or the other one is to completely overfunction and just try to fix everything. Like, it's okay, it's me time now. Like, I just need to take over. And here's the thing. Jesus drives us intentionally to places of insecurity so that he can teach us to trust him. Jesus drives us to places of insecurity to teach us to trust him. And so we have to trust Jesus in our uncertainty. In other words, it's not always for us to know. Sometimes it's just not for us to know. And this is the question they ask him. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to know, hey, so you're back. This is awesome. Is now the time? Are we there? Is this the time when like everything becomes amazing again forever? Like we get the kingdom back you establish rule for all time. Like, this is this at the moment right now? And Jesus' answer is, yeah, that's not for you to know. What? Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that information. Try to imagine that. Because we don't always know when something's going to happen. So parents, I want to encourage you that the next time you're driving somewhere with your kids... And your kids say, are we there yet? Or when are we going to get there? This is what your answer should be. It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's a great, it's a biblical answer. Are we there yet? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Lord has fixed by his own authority for us to arrive at Grandma's house. That will not be a sufficient answer. Your kids will go crazy. They'll be like, what do you mean you don't, what, what? I, you just didn't answer my question. And, but that's effectively what Jesus is saying to them. They're asking, are we there yet? And he's like, eh, it's not for you to know. I'm not going to tell you if this is the time that I'm going to restore all things. And we don't always know how something's going to happen right? We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we try super hard to figure out how things are going to happen. We try so hard that baseball had to change the rules this past year. So raise your hand if you're a baseball fan. So I kind of know my audience. Okay. So there used to be this shift thing that happened about five years ago where people got computers and they're like, oh, well, we know that this guy always hits the ball over here. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to tell the shortstop to go and play between first and second base because there's zero chance he's going to ever hit it between second and third. And if he does, we'll let him have the hit. But look, 
there's only a 2% chance that's ever going to happen, so get over there. And games got really boring. And so Major League Baseball was like, yeah, you're right. He's probably never going to hit the ball between first and second, but your shortstop, he's got to go back to where he's supposed to be. So they made this thing called the shift illegal. Right? So they, it, it, with baseball, and all sports now have something like sabermetrics, which is they just take all the data in, and then they make the game plan based on the data. But it doesn't just stop there. We do economic forecasts. Are we going to have a recession? Is the recession here? Is the recession going to happen in the third quarter or the fourth quarter? Should you buy treasury bonds, yes or no? Is the market inverted right now? What about home sales? Should we keep raising interest rates? Should we do a quarter point or a half point? People with markets and all these different charts and they're looking at things and trying to figure out when's the best time. Because we want to know things. Or maybe it's political polls. You know, based on the last political polls, we were going to have 35 to 40 brand new Republican House members. We got like six. Because sometimes polls don't work. But we want to know. We want to know so bad that we'll scroll through Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and we'll go to crazy websites like lasttimes.com or rightwingwatch.com or Satan's Throne is in Texas.com and we'll read information and they'll be like, oh, now I know why that thing happened because this internet conspiracy made it make sense to me. The reason that internet conspiracies get believed is because they make us not feel insecure anymore. Because they explain things that we don't understand. Why did this thing happen? What's going on? Certainly somewhere on the internet there's information that will make me feel like I understand now. And yet what Christ says is it's not for you to know the time or the seasons when this thing that you're asking for is going to happen. So what does that mean? What does it mean to trust Christ in our uncertainty? And I'm going to give you the same answer to each one of these, so I'm going to give you this answer three times. Understand your limits and your role. See, the question that they were asking was a question that was outside of their pay grade. They want to know, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? And his answer is like, you don't get to ask that question. Sometimes there's just information that you don't have because you're not omniscient, because you're not God, because you're human. And so when you say when and how to some things, the answer is you're just not going to know. Well, when is the train going to arrive? Well, I have an app on my phone that will tell me exactly when the VRE is going to hit Broad Run Station. And let me tell you what, they do not wait 30 seconds. They see me coming, running from my truck. They're like, 802, baby. Bye. And I watch as the doors close and the conductor just kind of like waves at me. That's the thing that can be known. But there are other things that can't be known. When will my grief end? Will my cancer be treatable? 
I asked my brother one time, my brother had been an alcoholic for 25 years. So from the time my brother was 14 until my brother got sober, uh, when he got his 30-day pin in Alcoholics Anonymous, he said that was the longest he'd been sober since he was 14. And so I asked him once, I said, you know, do you ever want to drink again? Like, do you miss drinking? And he goes, no, I totally don't miss drinking at all. He said, but you're asking the wrong question. I'm like, what's the right question? He goes, do I enjoy being sober? I'm like, well, don't you? He goes, not really. I don't know how to do anything sober. I I don't know how to have a relationship sober. I don't know how to have a job sober. I don't know how to deal with conflict sober. I don't know how to do anything sober. So this experience I am having is terrifying to me because I don't know how to do anything. There's no book I could give him that would be like, oh, well, here's the book that explains how everything's going to happen. There's just sometimes there's just no answers, which is why the AA and NA motto is, does anybody know it? One day at a time. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. You just have to live in today. That's all you have to figure out. One day at a time. And we're called to trust Christ in our weakness. So not just in our uncertainty, but in our weakness, because it's not always for us to do. Because we sometimes, our, our, our default is, well, then let me do something. Let me fix something that will make me feel secure. And so they ask him this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? So they're asking not necessarily only about when or how something's going to happen, but they're asking him if he's going to do it because they know that he has the power to do it right then, or at least they're hoping. And so they're looking to him for his power to do something. And he says, no, no, it's not for you to know, but you will receive power as the Father promised when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Oh, great. Does that mean we're going to have the power to restore the kingdom? Because that's what we wish. If when God gives us power, that's the kind of power we want to have. We want to have the power to fix things. You just do this. I can fix this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can't you? Can't you do every single thing, every single situation? Can't you do it through Christ who is in you? It's clearly what Scripture says, clearly what it means. Clearly, I can just fix anything that's broken in the world or in my family through Christ who strengthens me. Surely that's what that means. Except it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. It means you can get through all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean you can fix everything. I need to feed 5,000 people. Oh, I can do that through Christ who strengthens me. No, eh. No, that's a big end miracle. Only Jesus can do that. He did that so you would know that he has the ability to do that. Oh, there's a storm. I can just call out to the storm and say, storm, please stop. In the name of God, I command you. The storm is like, yeah, your house is going over there. Because we don't have that power. 
So we have to understand the difference between the power that we have and the power that God has. The power that God has, we read this morning. Here's what God has the power to do. To deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's a power that he has that you don't have. He can redeem you. He can save you. He can move you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a kingdom. That kingdom already exists in its fullness. The kingdom where you have been transferred. The kingdom where we experience all the blessings of that has not yet occurred. And he can take care of that. He has the ability to restore, to redeem, to reconcile. Those are things that he has the power to do. You do not. Here's what the power he gives you is. He gives you the power to know. He gives you the power to trust. And he gives them the power to be witnesses. That's what he calls him to do. Do I need to change the world? No, I don't need you to change the world, actually. That would be crazy. Because Christ says, behold, I'm making all things new. What you do is you join me in that. You act like a pink spoon giving out foretastes of the goodness of the kingdom as my witnesses so people are like, oh, how do I have more of that? How do I have that always? You have that always by being transferred by God from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Your job is to just be witnesses, just hand out ice cream. That's awesome. Because when we're dealing with just our own power, right? When we think, okay, if I had power, here's what happens. Our insecurity goes down. But you know what else does? Our trust in God. Because we can do it. Right? If if, if we had all the strength and power, we wouldn't have to trust God. We would not be insecure and we would not have to trust God. But because of the Holy Spirit, our insecurity can go down. And we can trust God. That's the blessing of this gift that they're given. This is why this matters. Because people come, this is the ministry that we do. We minister to people in Washington, many of whom would like to participate in what God is doing in the world. And so they get to sit in on policy discussions or they're trying to whip votes so that they can make America great again or build back better because both of those things are good. And then they realize it's nearly impossible for it to happen. People have been working on fixing poverty for generations. They're like, what is the point? I I, I guess I can't fix poverty. Yeah, really? You can't fix poverty. You've just come to that realization. No, you can't. But what you can do is participate in what God is doing, is advocating for policies that are good and just having that be enough. You know what else you can't do? You can't undo death. Just can't do it. Jesus can do it. We can't. There's people in this room, if I asked them, I said, hey, I, can, I could give you anything you want. What would you like me to give you right now? And they would say, I would like my child back or I would like my spouse back or I would like my parent back. And you know what my answer is? I can't give you that. 
I, I don't have the power to give you that. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry. Can, can what about my cancer? What about my diabetes? What about my mental struggles? Can't. I can't. Can't. I can't do that. What about addiction? Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody who has an addiction? You know how much energy you expend trying to get them to want to be sober. And you know the hardest thing is, is realizing you just can't do it. Like, it just cannot happen. We have a family member who's five months sober, and it's just realizing, like, you can't do anything. Like, you're just completely powerless. I can't, I don't have the power to fix it. I just watch the train wreck. And I pray for sobriety because that's what I can do. Because God hasn't called me to change the world. He's called me to participate with what he's doing. And then finally, trusting him in our, un, in our uncertainty, in our weakness, and in our unease. Because sometimes it's not for us to decide what we get to do. Here's what he tells them. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Good, I like those people. Those people are my friends. Those are my neighbors. Love them. Thank you. And in all Judea. Okay, wait a second. Are you talking about Anacostia? Because that's a neighborhood I don't like those people. Like, those people live there for a reason. Like, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan. Like, I like those people, but, you know, Anacostia? Seriously, like, it's the wrong side of the river. Not all of Judea. You don't mean all. You just mean the part I like, right? Because that's why I moved to Stafford. <laughs> I moved to Stafford for a reason, because there's people. I don't want anything. Oh, and Samaria. Okay. So now we're going to have to talk, because do you know anything about the people in Samaria? Like, those people are half-breeds, and they're syncretists, and they don't worship you the right way. You can't possibly want me to hang out with those Republicans? You want me to go have dinner with Republicans? Or is this the Democrats one? Is that, which one works here? I don't know. Right? You can't imagine which one. Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be in a relationship with this. You, sometimes you just don't get to decide. God puts you there. But we're like, oh, I feel insecure, so I'm just going to go hide now. Or you're like, oh, God's put me here. I have a megaphone. Attention, people. You're going to hell. Repent now and Jesus will save you or you will die in the fiery furnace. Yeah, you might be overfunctioning a little bit there. Maybe dial it down. Maybe go and be his witnesses in that situation because God puts us sometimes in strange and undesirable places with strange and undesirable people in strange and undesirable situations because if you asked us, well, tell me about the situations in which you would like to trust Jesus. We have a list of things. Oh, I would love to trust Jesus with a happy marriage. I would love to trust Jesus with well-behaved children. I would love to trust Jesus. Teach me how to trust Jesus with a great job. I would love to learn. That would be helpful. Help me to trust Jesus with so much money, I'm just struggling to know what to do with it. 
I just, I feel like that is a lesson I need to learn. I just don't know what to do with my money. No one says, you know what I'd love to do? I would love to learn how to trust Jesus. Having an inoperable brain tumor. I would love to learn how to trust Jesus with a child who is struggling with addiction and shows no signs of being done with it ever. I would, I would love to trust Jesus with the death of someone who I had planned spending the rest of my life with. Give me that situation, because that will, ah, I would love to learn to trust Jesus then. We don't say that. But it's not for us to decide. Jesus decides the situations that he is going to put us in to teach us to trust him. Because in most situations, we do what our children do, which is we would like to hide behind someone. And wouldn't it be great if there was a prayer about being in a situation you didn't like? Every moment holy. Have I talked about this book before? Have I encouraged you to purchase it? A liturgy for awkward gatherings. I know this about myself, O Lord. You have created me as one who best flourishes with daily rhythms of solace and moments of quiet reflection. When I find myself instead in noisy, crowded spaces amidst constant social interactions, my energies are soon depleted and I am left feeling inadequate, awkward, and uncomfortable. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I know this about myself, O Lord. In a room full of people, I would rather retreat into a quiet corner and flip through the pages of a book than step beyond the walls of myself to engage another person in conversation. Anybody? Anybody? And this desire in and of itself is neither a sin or virtue, but simply a description of my feelings, and yet it presents me with a choice. For you have not called me to insulate my heart from others, or from the discomfort I might feel in the presence of acquaintances and strangers. You have called me instead to learn to love by my small actions and choices those whose paths I cross moment to moment in all settings. Give me grace, therefore, O God, to love others and to move towards them when my instinct is to run. There's more. I edited that. But this is what it means. You don't always get to pick the situations. But God calls us there to trust him. And here's where it ends. It says, And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, Behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you from heaven will come again in the same way. Here's what we know. We understand that because we're human, we have these feelings. But what Luke is letting them know is the Jesus who disappeared in front of your sight is coming back with 100% certainty, and he is going to fix everything. So instead of feeling insecure, what God does is God offers you certainty, power and peace, not in yourself, but in him and in his son who has done all of this and accomplished. And he asks you to do three things. These are three things and you should write them down. Number one, 
embrace your humanity because you are not God. My therapist said to me recently, I was dealing with this situation, trying to work through it, and he said, let me ask you a question. How divine was Jesus? I said, fully. He goes, great. And how divine are you? I'm like, not at all. He goes, that's right. He goes, and how human was Jesus? I said, fully. And he said, how human are you? And I said, fully. And he said, eh, wrong answer. I'm like, what do you mean wrong answer? He goes, there are two people in the history of the world that are fully human. Adam, and it didn't take him long to blow that, and Jesus. You, my friend, are marred by sin. You are fallen, fragile, and finite. You are experiencing humanity not in the way you were intended to do so. So when you can't figure everything out and you can't fix everything and you can't know everything, you know what you are? Human. Why don't you just try embracing that for a while? Trust in his divinity because unlike you, he is infinite, all-powerful, and the God of steadfast love. That's awesome. Just trust in that. And finally, rely on your family because you are finite, fallen, and fragile. And Jesus, when he leaves, is not talking to one person. He is talking to a community. And he is saying, you are all going to need each other. And I am with you all, always, even to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for using situations of insecurity to remind us to trust in you and to teach us to trust in you. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you have called us to be. I thank you that we get to be human and allow you to be our God. In Christ's name, amen.